This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Morena no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo irarangi o natangata o Manawatu. Uh, it is a Tuesday morning, and that means we turn our attention to Massa University, the institution on the hill, uh, and meet some of the interesting people doing interesting things uh, over there on the uh, Manawatu campus. And this is. A very timely interview, actually, as we look to the Pacific Islands and in particular Tonga uh, and just the the, the sheer uh, weight of the event that is going on there at the moment. Uh, we are looking at a book called Mana of the Pacific, uh, Wisdom from Across Oceania. And uh, in the studio this morning, we have Professor of Inter- International Development, Regina Scavens. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning, and uh, Morena and Kiorana. Indeed, um, and to anyone who might be listening uh, and and uh, have some sort of relationship with what's going on around Tonga at the moment, hopefully we can draw on some of the wisdom and resilience uh, that can be found within the Pacific Islands. Uh, this is a book that you collaborated or co-wrote uh, with the Development Studies Senior Lecturer, Dr. Ape Mavono, uh, who you said just before we went to air uh, is in Fiji at the moment uh, so that's a reasonably good excuse for not being here right now um, but uh, yes you've both been working on this book tell us uh, tell us if someone sees this on the shelves what they can expect from within oh well they can expect a bit of a treat a bit of a feast for the eyes but a feast for feast for the soul as well because there's a lot of wisdom in there from Pacific cultures there's 20 different language groups, that's 20 different ethnic groups represented in the book, Um, many of them well known to New Zealanders, Um, some of your listeners may be from Tokelau, Tonga, Tuvalu, Niue, Samoa, Fiji, Um, and these types of countries, their languages are in there, their wisdom of ancient proverbs Mm -hmm. passed down through the centuries is encapsulated in their those proverbs are each each proverb is uh, mirrored with an image from the wider Pacific, which speaks to the theme mm-hmm. that is being um, represented. And for example, if it's something like you said before, resilience, and there are there's the chapter on perseverance in this book. Um, there'll be proverbs like this one from Tonga, Lucia ki talanga, which means through though weather worn the boat sails right into the harbour and really speaks to that when people in the Pacific are facing obstacles mm. they keep their eye on the goal they determine to press on to their destination to not be deterred in the face of difficulties and that's how these cultures have done so well surviving and sometimes thriving over many centuries. I, I, I get that impression from looking at some of the sample pages that people can see online um, I, I, I'm generating this sort of thought in my head that there's a reason some languages don't survive or, or certainly don't flourish. I'm thinking of like Scottish Gaelic and, and it, that that's quite a minority language. Whereas the Pacific Island languages do appear to be flourishing. And is that because of the inherent wisdom in the in the proverbs? Is that because they've always had 
a mindfulness quotient to 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 how they communicate um i I think that even many lost languages had a lot of that wisdom in them as well um but it really does take resourcing to keep mm. languages alive, especially when a lot of uh, a lot of a culture's people live offshore now, are in the diaspora. Mm-hmm. So, for example, for Cook Islanders, um, 10% of their population lives in Cook Islands, 90% live in Aotearoa, Australia, and around the world. Wow. Yeah, Samoa, it's like 50-50. Good luck. So, um, and Niue, um, a high proportion uh, live abroad as well, and especially in New Zealand. And so um, you really then rely on the host country in many ways, which then becomes the country that they're citizens of, to be um, to respect and honour their traditions. And it's really great at the moment that we have Pacific Language Weeks for mm. a range of Pacific languages, and that makes a huge difference. But if you talk to any Pacific elders in New Zealand, they will say they still have concerns about the younger generations, yep. picking up the language, respecting the knowledge and traditions. And this was one of the reasons for this book. We really wanted the younger generations that are part of the diaspora, but also those growing up in urban areas in the Pacific, influenced very much by Western culture, yep. watching the same YouTube and TikTok <laughs> clips, etc., that that the young kids here are watching. We wanted them to know that you should be celebrating, we all should be celebrating the strengths of the the knowledge, the wisdom of Pacific cultures. New Zealand does seem to be pretty uh, good at, at- well, as a society doing what it can from an outside perspective to support these languages and these cultures is part of that because there is a a realm. New Zealand has a, a, a realm. There are other islands that are part of what they call the, the, the realm mm-hmm. uh, countries. It, does that make us obliged to to support these these languages and cultures? Uh, absolutely. So in the case of the realm countries, so um, then if you're looking at like Niue and Cook Islands, for example, we have specific obligations to them and that's really important that mm. we honour them. But I think more broadly than that, we have special relationships with um, many countries of the Pacific and not only in terms of – I think some New Zealanders think that, oh, some uh, you know, a disaster happens and – and Kiwis are willing to get in there and help out and donate and contribute, something like the tsunami in mm-hmm. Samoa in 2009, for example. But actually, if we look at it closely, we'll see that Pacific peoples have been helping us for a long time. And whether it's through um, something I read today about Tongan communities back during World War II raising money for three Spitfires during World War II. Wow. You know, and huge, huge money yeah. um, from within Tonga to try and help the war effort. Um, or whether it is Tongan, Samoan and many other people coming here to help New Zealand in the 70s, 60s and 70s when we were short of labour in a number mm-hmm. of areas and continuing to um, be import- important in our workforce um, or whether it's our All Blacks and our other great yes. sports teams that all have great representation from Pacific cultures. Uh, it's, it's like it's not, it's not a one-way thing. No. There's a reciprocal relationship there. And we're, we, Uppy and I, kind of, we, we research tourism mainly, and we feel that probably a lot of New Zealanders and Australians 
see the Pacific in two ways, either as nice places to go for a holiday or those poor islands mm. that are, you know, vulnerable to climate change. And those those two are part of the – those two narratives are part of the picture, but they don't tell the full picture. No. And they don't show how much the Pacific has to offer us, how much we could learn. You, you mentioned climate change, and, and, and sadly it seems a lot of the times where we talk about the smaller Pacific islands, uh, the term climate change refugee comes up. You've already talked about the, the 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 sort of shift in the numbers of population. I mean, you ten percent living on an island, ninety percent elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's only going to increase as climate change takes hold. How long have I mean, is that sort of knowledge or understanding of climate change built into some of these uh, words of wisdom that you've you've created with with Appy? Well, we've got a chapter that looks more at um, the land and nature. So whenua, vanua, enua, depending on which part of the Pacific you're from, Mm. and the connections of people to that, to the land and the ocean, and not seeing um, people as separate from the environment, but being of the environment, Mm. part of the environment, that actually... That in this relationship with the environment, which links to the placenta being buried in the soil where of your motherland and so forth, and having that enduring connection, and I think that's really important because it means that if you're from one of those Polynesian or Melanesian cultures, it's uh, like you understand kaitiakitanga, that sense of guardianship. You respect that land because it's where your ancestors were buried, but it's also the source of the future for your children um, and so you want to make sure then that you're looking after that but that future for Pacific peoples their vision has to be beyond an idea that all they have are tiny dots of land in the ocean mm. as the late great Professor Apele Hawofa talked about they have their land but they also have the Moana the great sea around them at the, the greatest um, space on this earth is taken up by the Pacific Ocean. You know, that's that's an incredibly powerful thing. But also the cosmologies, the stars above that guided them to navigate There's that, amazing um, distances. Have you seen, I think it's part of a, a, a Māori exhibit down at Tamanawa, but it's the phases of the moon and you can turn the dial and it, it, it's saying things like um, a turbulent day, maybe maybe not the best day for fishing, tend to the, tend to the fields instead. It, really cl- clever ideas. When you're looking at these um, proverbs, mm-hmm. a is there a understanding that there's a commonality here, and that in some cases it doesn't matter if it's in Samoan or Tongan? There's a sort of common ancestry and a common wisdom from because because there is a, a a common starting point for all of the Pacific uh, countries, isn't there? Absolutely, yeah. Thank you um, for that question because it's really important in terms of the whole ethos of this book. For some of the proverbs we found um, from, we found them in five or six different languages, essentially. And what became very clear to us were, was that there were some values underpinning many of the cultures. We're not trying to generalise and say, well, the cultures are, are the same. It's nothing like that. But there are some similar values that run through things. So um, the book, as you know, was organised into these chapters mm-hmm. and those their themes uh, around land and spirituality, around leadership, around preparedness, diligence, 
communal solidarity. Mm. And there are proverbs around each of those themes from all of the countries we looked at, essentially. So there really are some similarities there, and that helps to... Um, we think in some ways unify and strengthen the message that's coming through in the book. And for that same reason, you'll have noticed these really beautiful photos from our two photographers whose collections we were able to draw on for the book. Unfortunately, we weren't able to commission a Pacific photographer to travel all around the Pacific. That would have been nice. (laughs) Because we did this during COVID, right? And so we we had to draw on photographers that had existing collections, not of... um, not of just like tourist type no, photos, no. but ones that are a little bit more ethnographic, slice of life type photographs. Yep. And so um, we were very fortunate that Pedro and Pernia had been commissioned by a number of NGOs and MFAT to do uh, to Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade to do uh, do to take photographs in a number of Pacific countries for their reports a few years ago, and had a wonderful collection. And also my brother, Henry, also happens to be quite a good photographer who's done a lot of work in Melanesia on mm. forestry, sustainable forestry. So he had some photos in the collection and both were happy for us to use them in the book. But we haven't, like if there is a a proverb from Tokelau, we haven't paired that necessarily with a photograph from Tokelau. And that's on purpose. That's on purpose because we're trying to, to show that across the region, these values mm. that, are, that are captured in the proverbs resonate. And so, yes, we've got a whole mix. It, it, I, I, this is a somewhat sort of condescending statement, but it's a very pretty book. <laughs> it, it, it's a very pretty book. And, and where, where do you see this sitting? Because it strikes me as, as something you would dip in and out of. Um, it, it, it's maybe one of the best cases of a sort of self-help book insofar as if you just need a pick-me-up, you've got the chapters, you can find the right space and just find the saying and, and get some sort of growth from that. Do you do you see this on people's coffee tables? Do you see it by their bed? Do you see it as something more academic or educational? Where do you see this being? Well, it's definitely a coffee table book and um, – that was really nice to see that lots of people were buying it for a coffee table type gift book prior to Christmas. And by the way, all of the proceeds that Appy and I would have normally received from the book are just going to go straight back into community resilience building projects in the Pacific. Oh, brilliant. We were n- it's not our wisdom. Mm-hmm. So we were not interested in keeping and in, in making any profits from this. As academics, we are privileged to be able to do research. So we did research for this book in our time as at, at university, and we're so excited to see it published mm. and be the celebration of this knowledge. But we don't want it just as a coffee table book. We'd love to see it in schools. And we've been contacted, for example, by a school librarian and by a teacher at a school who have been already who uh, already at the end of last year because it came out in October. We're working with it with their junior high school students, with the Pacific students, and who were very excited to see. Um, some of their country's knowledge is captured in there. But they also, these teachers are saying to us, we'd love a series of posters for Mm -hmm. classrooms. So currently um, I've been speaking to people in Ministry of Education to see if they might be interested in publishing uh, posters based on these spreads in the book. Not all of them, but, you know, a selection of them, preferably chosen by kids. So primary school students, choose some that resonate with them. Secondary, do the same. And and hopefully we could print and put them out there. And so we'd love to see that done. And I should mention, too, that our publishers, Potton and Burton, who are based in Nelson, 
and they uh, they published Moriora, a beautiful book of Fakatoki yep. that um, Api and I saw, and we loved it. And it's Maori proverbs paired with archival photographs. And we approached these publishers because we thought they did such a beautiful job. And they provided the same care and attention with a slightly different concept with our book. And um, they have said they are very happy that if we find a not-for-profit that will publish posters, they don't want anything from that. They've, they've, you know, they've provided all the book, uh, the design component that's taken a lot of effort, which is why we've got these beautiful colours by each page, which match in and with the colours of the well. photos. The designs are from a young Fijian, Nathaniel, who's based in um, based in Hamilton, and Api knew his family, and he's uh, working full-time but does part-time, does some designs for mm-hmm. a tattoo artist. And so he did a bit of research on different designs and motifs, and so he's done all of the motifs that appear on the p- individual pages and the motifs on the cover of the book. So that was really cool. It, it sounds like it is growing legs all on its own. It, do you feel the start of something, or have you accomplished what you set out and it needs to do its own thing? Or, you know... It, is this the start of a, a series of proverbs from around the world? You know, are you going <laughs> to head off, head off to South, South America next? <laughs> well, that wouldn't be our job. But frankly, if other people from other cultures see this and um, think, oh, that's awesome, why don't we have something from our cultural language group that is that is like this? I would love them to go ahead and do it. Mm-hmm. It's great. It, it's, a, it's a very exciting, positive thing to do. And that we, it, we've had two book launches. We had two book launches last year for the book, and we said to the Pacific communities gathered at each of the launches, please, if if you can see a few proverbs from your language here, but you know there are many more, and you'd love to see more of them written up and the knowledge kept and shared, go ahead, mm-hmm. do it. We don't own this. We had an idea here. We've, we've seen other people's ideas, and we think there's some real value in this as a way of um, bringing – Bringing the um, the knowledge and the wisdom to life through having the appropriate images paired with the proverbs. So we'd love to see more people doing it from all around the world. Do you see it as a way to keep the languages alive? Because, I mean, it's not a, a, a language textbook. You can uh, read some, you, you can get the translations, but you can see the original language there as well. Will it contribute to keeping the language alive or is that not really the purpose? We'd love it to be part of that. We would absolutely love that to happen. And look, um, for us, it's absolutely not just about just about getting a book out there. That was very exciting, getting mm. the book together. And it's been wonderful to hear from different Pacific peoples that it's been meaningful to them to see it, to see it on the shelves, um, to be gifted it or to gift it to others, that uh, it makes them feel proud. And, you know, honestly, that makes me emotional because I'm like – you know, why Why do we have, especially the younger generation, that doesn't necessarily feel proud of their culture mm. because of the way it's sometimes represented? And so it's like we, we love that it's having that impact, so we don't want that to stop. Mm. We would love to see the ripple effect in whatever ways are possible. So if anyone's out there that, you know, is pretty handy on TikTok or something like that, <laughs> wants to find a way of socialising the knowledge that's in it, we we would think that was fantastic. Talk to us about it, and we we'll set you up, and off you go. Frankly, um, 
that there's so many innovative, creative people out there and there's different ways of getting messages across. This book is one way. And we hope that it will actually spur others to take these ideas forward in different formats as well. I should say, just out of a spirit of genuineness, Regina has a little tear on her cheek there. There are some tissues there, help yourself. Uh, we are here with uh, Regina Scavens, uh, Professor Scavens uh, from Massey University, talking about the, the new book drawing on Pacific wisdom called Mana of the Pacific, a collection of proverbs from across uh, Pacific Islands in a number of languages. And... I find when I learn more Maori proverbs that um, I despair of Western culture because it strikes me, and and same with this book as well, and you've mentioned a couple of them today, they are acutely aware of climate, of of space, of guardianship, of sustainability, of not being greedy, of looking after things for very holistic and uh, correct reasons. All of this centuries before, you know, these colonialists turned up at the front door. Um, and and as, as, as a society of Westerners, we, we don't value this sort of stuff and haven't for centuries. But we should. I mean, it's, make, it, it's a book of common sense in a number of Pacific <laughs> languages, really, isn't it? It, it is in many ways. And um, I wouldn't say for centuries. I wouldn't be so hard on us. Quite honestly, I think my parents um, embodied a mm. lot of these a lot of these characteristics. And um, if we look at ones like, for example, the ones on leadership in here, they're fantastic. And we know the importance of leadership in this country. So do many other people. But, you know, getting through the mosque attacks – the 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 terror of of those times in Christchurch, getting uh, also facing this global pandemic, we needed really good leadership mm. in this country, and when and we needed it to help unite people and bring people together in a common effort to look after each other, not just to think about the individual. If we all thought as individuals, we weren't mm. going to get through it. Well, look at all these proverbs, and I do believe my parents, who came from you know growing up as kids in wartime Europe, they came, they immigrated from Slovenia and from the Netherlands, and so they knew what it was to go without and be in big families. But they also knew so much joyfulness that could come from rallying together. So you look at these ones on leadership, and it's nothing about ego and arrogance and control. It's it's this wonderful Samoan proverb on the road to leadership is through service got one from Niue about those whose hands are not dirty shouldn't have a say in important <laughs> village matters. So get down and be with the people. A chief is a hibiscus in the wind. That's from the Federated States of Micronesia. And that one's about the hibiscus. Sends up many shoots and they're very flexible. And you need to be able to bend if you're a leader to accommodate mm. different groups around you. And it's just... Uh, it's lovely stuff, and I don't think we are yeah, centuries away from from thinking more communally and showing care for our neighbours and really showing perseverance. Mm. But, you know, I'm the, I'm the mum of teenagers and, and young people, you know, <laughs> yes. and sometimes I get frustrated that there sometimes isn't a little bit more perseverance. But you know what? When I was a teenager, I, I had a few... <laughs> <laughs> Traits as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I know. I know. I'm a bit of a, a pessimist, or, or, or generally, you know, the glass is half empty type of person. But it, it just it does strike me that Western culture is missing this stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll concede, maybe not for centuries, but it's missing this stuff now. Mm-hmm. 
How, how do we get it back? I mean, you have obviously made a, a valiant effort to bring some of it into our uh, purview by publishing a book, but how do we get people to actually recognise it and believe it? Recognise it and believe it? Well, I think I think we're on the right track in Aotearoa. We've made steps with so many more Pākehā people embracing te reo classes, mm-hmm. um, with sales of books like Moriora and also... Um, Araha, which is the other book of proverbs and wisdom that's that um, Nimo Elder has put out. That's another great one. They're, they're on the bestsellers lists in um, bookstores like Unity Books, and they um, they really show that there is a hunger and an interest and mm-hmm. understanding other ways of knowing, living, and being. So there's promise there. We've got a long way to go still, but we're making steps in the right direction. Because this isn't a a book about a a pretty way to say a thing. This is about here is a statement that has layers that mean something very uh, fundamental to a lot of people. and, And you might not get it, but you should read it and try and embrace it. That's that's the difference, isn't it? And that's why I was asking earlier on about a coffee table book because mm-hmm. that doesn't give the level of engagement you may want, I would assume, people to have when they read this proverb. It's not just a witty little thing to read and put away. These need, need, need to be unpacked. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's why we are hoping it will get into classrooms. Um, I can see so many possibilities for how teachers could be using this as a resource Um you know, whether it's intermediate school students when it's time to do their, I think in most schools they have kids have to do some sort of oral presentation, some sort of speech, pick a proverb, mm. right, speak about something that means something to you relating it to that proverb. Pick your own proverb from Moriora or from our book, you know, and um, asking them to engage in that way. But look, there's, there's many other possibilities too. But I, I guess I do hold out some hope in that younger generation that they can find some inspiration. But even those who only have it as a coffee table book, I hope that they'll look at it and they'll be like, oh, wow, that's so cool. They might say, I went on a trip to Fiji once actually and I loved it. The Fijian people were great. But this is this is showing me through dipping into here. I can see there's more to it mm-hmm. than just a buller welcome and a, exactly. you know, a nice place to stay. Exactly. You know? Um, this shows you my strengths as an interviewer, the most important question, and we've hardly got any time left at all. But how did you get, find all of these proverbs in the first place? Oh, great. Yeah, great question. There are a few published books for some of the languages, Samoan, Tong and Fijian, for example, and they were a great source. We've acknowledged all of them at the back of the book, but we also ran a social media competition. So um, we wanted young people to enter it in particular, young Pacific people to go and talk to their parents and grandparents, find some proverbs and then write in and enter, well, um, submit online. So we, and the way we incentivised that was by putting an iPhone up for grabs. No, that's the way to do it, yes. <laughs> and the wonderful winner from that was a 16-year-old young woman from Tuvalu who was off at um, on an outer island at secondary school when, she, when we emailed to say she'd won the competition and she'd used her dad's email to submit <laughs> the entry and so her dad was very excited to hear about this and... Um, we got some lovely submissions in, which which helped us mm-hmm. include some of the underrepresented languages. And look, you know, when it comes to ones like Papua New Guinea, 
there's over 800 languages, distinct wow. languages there. So there's only about three of the sub-languages from Papua New Guinea represented in this book. But look, if you're Papua New Guinean and you're out there listening and you know that your language has got some great wisdom, get your own book together. Fantastic. Or website or yeah. whatever or lots YouTube channel. Yeah. Lot, lots of options, lots of options. We are completely out of time. Uh, Dr. Regina, uh, Professor Regina Scavens, thank you very much. Thank you for your work and also the work of uh, Dr. Api Mavono, uh, who was also instrumental in this book. Mana of the Pacific, Wisdom from Across Oceania, uh, available in lots of good bookstores. I noticed the photograph taken of you in the Massey article was in Bruce McKenzie Booksellers. <laughs> so everyone go and support local and uh, get your copy of Mana of the Pacific. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. And remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch Up series, head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch up. We will be back tomorrow at half past eight with another edition. Do join us then. Bye for now. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.